A few weeks ago, when the weather wasn't quite as warm and sunny as it is now, uh, I thought it was time that I finally get to wear shorts. It was a Thursday morning. I remember the day before it had been sunny, and I thought, I'm getting warm in these shorts, so uh, in these, these jeans, so I'll, I'll wear some shorts, take the opportunity. Uh, and uh, certainly through the morning, it was warm and it was sunny. The sun was gloriously shining. But then by about lunchtime, the clouds had come over and I was feeling a little chilly. And the clouds remained and the sun never appeared again. The glory of the sunshine had been covered by the clouds. And that, that thought... Uh, is helpful, I think, that thought, not of me wearing shorts, but of uh, the clouds covering the glory of the sunshine is helpful as we come to this passage, because that seems to be what is going on here. Uh, Last week, if you remember, God spoke into the silence. God's word was rare. Uh, People hadn't really heard from the Lord. Not many people had seen visions, but, but finally God's voice spoke out and called the boy Samuel. And by the end of the chapter, and it was read for us by Shammar earlier, Samuel's word came to all Israel. The light of God's word was going forth. But as we get into chapter 4, it's like the clouds are coming and covering the glory that was seen, that was certainly glimpsed there at the end of chapter 3. And we read these, these words at the end of the chapter saying, The glory has departed for Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. The clouds have come, the clouds of darkness, the clouds of judgment. How do we get there? Well, we join at the beginning of this passage We join Israel who are camped out and ready to go to war, ready to go and fight against the Philistines. Have a look there in uh, verse 1. Now the Israelites, they went out to fight against the Philistines. The Israelites camped at Ebenezer and the Philistines uh, at Aphek. A scene is set for us. Israelites, they're camped at Ebenezer. The Philistines are camped at Aphek and they're ready to go to battle. They're ready to go and fight. And surely Israel, as God's people, uh, surely they can be confident in the Lord. Uh, the, the battle belongs to the Lord. The battle will be, be won by them because the Lord is on their side. But have a look at what happens in verse 2. The Philistines, they deployed their forces to meet Israel. And as the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines. He killed about 4,000 of them on the battlefields. Israel are defeated. Israel are defeated. And so the question goes up for us there in verse 3. Why? Why did the Lord bring defeat on us today before the Philistines? Surely the Lord is on our side. He makes sure we win, doesn't he? But 
why has he allowed us to lose? Why have these 4,000 people died? Why have those Philistines over there won? Well, we get no indication, no indication here that the Israelites are really seeking God for help here. They go out and they seem to fight in their own strength, in their own power. And yet we're told that they camp at a place called Ebenezer. And Ebenezer, it means stone of God's help. And as we'll see in just a few chapters' time, Samuel will literally lay a stone there to say uh, that the Lord has helped us so far. But right now, they're not even looking to the Lord for help, it seems. And they are left defeated. They they go in their own power and in their own strength. And as Hannah prayed, and Hannah's prayer I think is a helpful lens for us to read uh, 1 Samuel through. Uh, Hannah prayed in um, the end of chapter 2 and verse 9. The end of verse 9. She prays, it is not by strength that one prevails. Not by our own strength that we prevail. Hannah knew the strength of the Lord in her life, in helping her. She'd gone through that pain of childlessness and gave her her, her son. But Israel itself, Israel as a whole, they're not looking to the Lord for his strength. They're going in their own strength. It's not by our own strength that one prevails. And so uh, came this question, why did the Lord bring defeat on us today before the Philistines? And so they think that they have a bright idea to solve this problem. They think they know how they can uh, get the upper hand on the Philistines. Uh, And this idea comes to them. Let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh so that he may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. They have this bright idea. Let's go fetch the ark. Uh, Do you know about the the ark that lived in the temple, the ark of uh, the covenant? They go to Shiloh where the tabernacle was. And they go and get it from the the Holy of Holies and get this important, important uh, piece of uh, furniture for them, a sacred object. They get it uh, and take it to the battlefield. It's so important. As it tells us in verse 4, it's the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord Almighty, the Lord Almighty who is enthroned between the cherubim. It's an important, important object. An important part of the life of the worship of God's people. And it reminds us of a few things. The Ark of the Covenant reminds us of a few things. It reminds us of God's covenant. It's in the Ark. You had the stone tablets. God's covenant with his people. You have as well a symbol of God's provision there. You've got a piece of manna uh, in the Ark of the Covenant. It's a symbol of God's provision. It's a symbol of God's presence with his people. 
It's to live. It's to be placed in the Holy of Holies, the place where God dwells. And it's also a symbol of God's mercy. Because there, once a year, the, the high priest would go uh, and splatter uh, blood from an animal uh, on the ark uh, to make atonement between uh, the people and God. It's a symbol of God's covenant, God's provision, God's presence, God, God's mercy. But they're taking it to the battlefield. They're going and grabbing it and using it as a way to maybe manipulate God to bring them victory. They're using it as a kind of lucky charm, like a lucky pair of socks that you might own because they're, they're lucky to you because you once won a football match in them. It's that kind of thing. That's what they're doing with the, the ark, this precious, precious, sacred object. We get a clue as to how bad this, this is, this move is, uh, in these verses. Um, so when they say, let us bring, apparently that, that word bring, it's like taking, grabbing for themselves. Uh, they, they just go and grab, grab the ark, grab the ark from the Holy of Holies. That's no way to treat, treat it. It's no way to go and just enter God's presence and grab out of it. And then it, it seems to be all about them. So, so as we, we read that um, in verse 3, let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh that he may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. It's not about the Lord, it's about them. It's not about God's glory, it's about theirs. And on top of all that, in verse 4, look who's there with the, the ark. So the people, verse 4, sent men to Shiloh and they brought back the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord Almighty who was enthroned between the cherubim. And Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. Hophni and Phinehas, those two scandalous sons of Eli, those two scandalous priests are there. And that should kind of strike an ominous tone for us. Like if you were watching Star Wars and Darth Vader appears, or if you were watching Harry Potter and Voldemort appears, something bad is happening, something dark. And that's happening here as we read that Hophni and Phineas are there. They're involved. This can't be that good. The Ark of the Covenant being wheeled out in the hope that God might then give them victory. And as it comes out, we read this in verse 5. When the ark of the Lord's covenant came into the camp, all Israel raised such a great shout that the ground shook. They raised the shout. The ark is here. We're going to be fine. A shout of hope, of expectation. Maybe like the hope that uh, England fans, when they see Harry Kane is on the ball, uh, they raise a great shout in the hope that England might score. Or, or maybe uh, on a Friday evening when, when work is finished, you raise a great shout of, of hope, of victory. Work is finished and the weekend has come. And it's going to be good. All will be well now. 
But as they let out this great shout, we also read that the ground shook. And I think that kind of raises some alarm bells, should raise some alarm bells surely for them. The ground shakes. You're messing around with the Lord Almighty. His presence is, is where it's not meant to be. Ground shaking. Surely it should raise some fear of God in them. There's no way to treat the Lord bringing out his, the Ark of the Covenant just as a, a mere way to try and win a war. Just as a lucky charm. You, you wouldn't... You, you would... You would let, wouldn't you, a child play with a toy car, but you wouldn't let them go and drive around with a real car. That's dangerous. And it's dangerous for the Philistines here as they try and play around with the Ark of the Covenant. It, it seems to me that, that kind of Israel's theology, their view of God is a bit faulty here. It's misguided. It's wrong. It's treating God like a kind of a means to an end. Trying to get him to do what, what they want him to do. Bring, bring them a victory by having the ark there. But it seems to me that, that the Philistines have a much better theology. So have a look at their reaction when they, when they hear of the ark of God being there. Uh, so down towards the end of verse 6. When they learned that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp, the Philistines were afraid. A god has come into the camp, they said. Oh no, nothing like this has happened before. We're doomed. Who will deliver us from the hand of these, all, of these mighty gods? They are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues and in the wilderness. The Philistines at least have a, a little bit of fear of God in them. It's not all right, but they, they know that this, this God is the almighty God. Uh, they, they, they know that he is powerful, that he is strong, that he, he could strike down Pharaoh and his mighty army. They, they know about the plagues that he sent on Egypt. They're trembling, they're fearful. And the Israelites are just, just using God as a bit of a lucky charm. They're not really fearing God as they ought. They think, oh, we'll be fine now. No honor and glory of God among the, Phili uh, the Israelites, but there, there seems to be a fear of God among the, among the Philistines. They seem to have got something right. But the Philistines, they kind of uh, look at the situation and, and they, they see themselves and they see the Israelites and they, they say, actually, we are, we are quite strong, really. So verse 9, be strong, Philistines. Be men or you will be subject to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. They rally around. Uh, they think, Let, let's, let's not, not spend too much time dwelling on this. Sure, sure they, they, they have this, this God on their side, but... But we're still strong. We're the stronger army. We're the better, mightier army. We'll be fine. 
And so the Philistines, they have their round two. Round two of the fight. And what happens? Verse 10. So the Philistines fought and the Israelites were defeated. And every man fled to his tent. The slaughter was very great. Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers. The ark of God was captured and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died. They thought they'd wheel out the ark. They thought it'd be a lucky charm for them, really. And what happens? They're defeated. The Israelites are defeated. The ark of God, that that's such a special, prized object that they had. Reminder of God's, God's covenant, God's, God's provision, God's presence, God's mercy. It's, it's been carried off by the Philistines. It's added to their kind of trophy cabinet. And Hophni and Phinehas, they're dead. They struck down dead. Shouldn't be too surprised by that if we remember a few weeks ago when we looked at chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 34, Eli was told uh, what happened and what happens to your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, will be assigned to you. They will both die on the same day. And this was the day. God's judgment was being executed. God was bringing those scandalous sons of Eli down. Israel was defeated. God was not bowing down to their treatment of him. It seems to me they, they treat God a bit like, a, maybe a bit like we might treat a convenience store, like a Tesco Express, a Sainsbury's local wherever you, your preferred convenience store is, you just pop down there whenever you kind of feel like it. I really want a bit of chocolate, so you pop, pop around the corner for some. Israel's kind of treating God like this. Will him out because they, they want a victory. But they're not really honoring God. And it's a warning for us. As we read this passage, it's a warning for us not to be treating God like that. Not to be treating God like he's just uh, kind of a genie in a bottle, ready to uh, grant our three wishes when we want him to. Not just going to talk to him uh, when we just want a little bit of help, when we want to pass an exam, or maybe when we want the trains not to be delayed any more than they are now. That's not how we should treat God. We need him through the whole of our life. Walk with him through all the changing scenes of life in troubles and in joys. It's not just a good luck charm. He should be everything for us. We need to remember as as Christians, as people that, that know the Lord Jesus now, Remember the Lord Jesus and his covenant in his blood. Remember his provision for us, everything that he's provided for us. Uh, remember his, his mercy to us, his grace to us day by day. Remember his presence with us. Remember that he is the great Lord Almighty. 
Don't just use him at your own convenience. Israel's defeated. The sons of Eli have been struck down. The ark of God has been carried off by the Philistines. Surely it can't get much worse than this. And yet it does. Secondly, we see that Israel's glory departs. Israel's glory departs. We're about to uh, join Eli. Eli, Hophni and Phineas's dad. The priest, the guy who's been kind of meant to be leading Israel over these last 40 years or so. The priest who is now blind. He's now 98 years old. He can't be on the battlefield. He can only sit in Shiloh and kind of anxiously wait. He knows about the ark of God being carried off and he's very anxious about it. Is it going to come back safe? Is it going to come back in one piece? Is it going to come back at all? He's probably thinking. He has no idea what's gone on. And so uh, we see... um, down in verse 12, we see a Benjamite who, who goes to Shiloh, goes to Shiloh with the bad news. Have a look, verse 12. That same day, a Benjamite ran from the battle line and went to Shiloh with his clothes torn and dust on his head, a, surely a sign of his, his anguish about the defeat. And verse 13, when, when he arrived there, there was Eli sitting on his chair by the side of the road watching because his heart feared for the ark of God. When the man entered the town and told what had happened, the whole town sent up a cry. Benjamite goes and shares the news with the town uh, of Shiloh. Israel's been defeated. The ark of God, it's gone. Hophni and Phinehas, they've died. And Shiloh, the town, sends, sends up a cry. It's a dark day, dark news. Uh, Eli still hasn't really heard, but he does hear the outcry, outcry of grief, of pain, of sorrow. Verse 14, Eli heard the outcry and asked, what is the meaning of this uproar? The man hurried over to Eli, who was 98 years old and whose eyes had failed so they could not see. And he told Eli this, I have just come from the battle line. I fled from it this very day. Eli wants to know what happened. He's anxious, remember, about the ark. That's his main concern. What happened, my son, he says. The man who brought the news replied, Israel fled before the Philistines and the army has suffered heavy losses. Also, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. And the ark of God has been captured. Finally, the news gets to Eli. It's all being explained to him. And I'm sure he's, he's no doubt distressed by the news of Israel's defeat. No doubt distressed by the news of uh, his two sons and their death. But even more than anything else, he's distressed about the news of the ark of God's. The Ark of the Covenant, it's been captured, it's been taken away. 
the glory of God taken away, the symbol of God's presence, his provision, his mercy. It's gone. And that literally tips Eli over the edge. Have a look at verse 18. When he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell backwards off his chair by the side of the gate. His neck was broken and he died. For he was an old man and he was heavy. He had led Israel for 40 years. Told you it literally tipped him over the edge. He fell off his chair. His neck broke, he died. A sad ending. It tells us that he was a heavy man. On a heavy day, after hearing heavy news of heavy losses. And a heavy death. And yet things get even worse. He thought that was bad. It gets even worse. Verse 19. His daughter-in-law, the wife of Phineas, was pregnant. And near the time of delivery, when she heard the news that the ark of God had been captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she went into labor and gave birth, but was overcome by her labor pains. Gosh, what, what a day it's been for this lady. Her, her her husband's died, her brother-in-law's died, her father-in-law has died. I don't know if she's got any family left. And she was pregnant and clearly the stress had brought the labor on, I, I don't know. But that's certainly what happens. She went into labor and gave birth. At least, surely, something good, new life comes Verse 20, as she was dying, the woman attending her said, don't despair, you've, you've given birth to a son. Surely good news among the bads. But no, she did not even respond or pay any attention. And we get the final moments of her life recorded for, for us, her final words, really. Verse 21, 22, she named the boy Ichabod saying the glory has departed from Israel because of the capture of the ark of God and the deaths of her father-in-law and her husband. She said the glory has departed from Israel for the ark has been captured. With her final breaths, her final words, sad words. I named this boy Ichabod. Ichabod? It means the glory has departed. Or as some uh, interpret it, where is the glory? The glory's departed. And her main concern here really is that the, the ark of God's been captured. That's the first, first thing she mentions. That's the first thing that we're told that she hears about. The ark of God has been captured. The glory is gone. Where is the glory? This name, Ichabod, um, apparently the, the word for glory in Hebrew is kabod. Uh, and it, it means glory, it kind of means a weightiness. Uh, thinking about today, we, we might sometimes say someone's argument about something has weight. 
listen to it, pay attention to it. It's important. It deserves listening to. Who has weight? Who has glory? Where is the glory? Where is the honor? Where is it? Because it seems to have departed. That's what what this, this woman says. Where is God's glory? Well, it's it's been robbed by the priests. Do you remember those events in chapter 2? We saw Eli and, and his sons stealing meat, meat reserved for God. The fat portions which were to be burned up as a sacrifice to God had been stolen by Eli and his sons. They were fattening themselves on the parts which were meant to be for God. They were eating what was meant to be for the glory of God. And so Eli was told in in chapter 2, verse 29, let's remind ourselves what he was told. He's He's asked, why do you honor your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people Israel? Eli was part of it too, fattening themselves on the parts that were meant to be offered to God. And so where is the glory? Well, a very similar word is used of Eli in his death, the word heavy. Where was the glory? Well, it was, it was round Eli's waist. He was eating what was meant to be for God, fattening himself on that. The glory wasn't being given to God. It was being used for their, their own enjoyment, their own satisfaction, not for God's honor and glory. And so Phineas' wife is right. Where is the glory? It's departed. Eli's now dead. The ark of God, which should be glorious, is, is gone. It's been captured. It's been taken off. They thought they were okay on their own. They thought they could go their own way. I was trying to think of a kind of helpful illustration for us and um, forgive me if this isn't helpful, but uh, it certainly helped me. Um, Brighton and Hove Albion until last autumn were managed by Graham Potter. Uh, he was much loved, was much loved, did much good for Brighton and Hove Albion, established them as a Premier League club, and yet angered many Brighton and Hove Albion fans. He left. He left Brighton to go and join Chelsea. After all he'd done, after all they'd been through, left to join Chelsea. And it didn't go so well for him at Chelsea this season. He thought he could go alone without Brighton, go and join some other club and find even more success. And yet Brighton have found they're okay without him. Israel think they're okay without God. Eli and his sons, they thought they were okay without God. They thought they could go his own, their own way. But now the glory of God has left them. 
The ark of God has gone. The glory is just not there at the moment. And God, through this chapter, he's executing his judgment, which he said would come. His word has not failed. He's bringing the old regime down. But in order for a new one to be able to be raised up, in Samuel the prophet, in, in installing a king, actually it was necessary for Eli and his sons to be removed from their positions. It was necessary for the good of, of God's people. Sometimes it's necessary to remove the dead and the lifeless for new life to come. And we as Christian people, we, we know that, don't we, in the Lord Jesus. We know that he has taken on our death and our sin on the cross in order to give us new life by his grace. And we praise God for that. But as we listen to this chapter, as we see these, these dark events happening, let them also be a warning to us that we don't forget the love that we have for our Lord Jesus. That we don't go off and, and do things the way we think they should be done. That we don't forget God. That we don't treat Him. That, that we treat Him with honor and respect that He deserves. See, in the New Testament, the, the Lord Jesus, he, he speaks to a, a church in the church in Ephesus. And he warns them. Uh, he, he tells them, firstly, that they're doing a great job. They're, they're, they're busy doing all sorts of things. But, but he also warns them. He holds this against them. You've forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. A church that was so busy doing all sorts of things, maybe good things, but forgetting, forgetting their love for the Lord Jesus, forgetting to honor and glorify him. And Israel did that here. It's a warning for us. We can be busy doing all manner of things, all manner of good things. Serving in the church, looking after our family, working hard. And God's just kind of been moved slowly and slowly more and more out of the picture. And we don't offer him the worship that he is due. We don't express to him the thanks and praise that he's due. We don't... Don't treat him like we, we need to depend on him, like, like we want to glorify him. We just, we just do what they were doing and, and treat him a, a, as a convenience, as a, a lucky charm. And so we need to hear the warning. Uh, maybe for some of us this is really relevant. And we need to turn back and repent and come back to our first love. The Lord Jesus calls us. Maybe a good prayer we could pray is like we kind of sung earlier. Lord, I'm prone to wonder. Lord, I'm prone to leave you, the God that I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it from your courts above. Return to the Lord. 
and give him the glory and honor that he deserves.